0: Welcome to the Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and today we have Legislature Roundup with Emily Mahoney from our Tallahassee Bureau. She's a little bit busy these past few weeks, running around, following the bills, trying to figure out what's going on, what's passing. The governor has now been signing bills into law. She's just back from a fun trip to the panhandle where she also got to see uh, Donald Trump rally. And now we're going to take a chance to go back and give a little look back at what our legislature has done and not done when it came to education policy. Let's jump right in. So, Emily, you're back. Are you awake? (laughs) Mostly. Well, that's good. I know that you were at that Trump rally and the governor was there. Was he talking about some of these education issues while he was there, too? Or was that about something completely different?
1: Oh, no. I The governor and Trump and uh, the long list of other Florida Republicans that were there all, I think, mentioned education in one way, shape, or form. Uh, most of them talking about how Florida is kind of leading, leading the way on school choice.
0: Well, let's talk about that because this morning, the governor did a tour. He went to two cities in the morning. He's headed to Miami this afternoon, and he wants to sign his voucher bill that he got. Mm-hmm. So... Is that what they're talking about? Leading the nation in school choice? This whole idea that the governor brought up of having public dollars meaning public education?
1: Definitely. Yeah. And it was interesting. Betsy DeVos, uh, who leads the Federal Department of Education, was actually at a, a conference for education reporters recently. And she kind of echoed what DeSantis had said before, that you and I have talked about, that anytime the public is paying to educate a child, it constitutes public education. And that's exactly what we're seeing with this bill that he's signing today, SB 7070. Um, as you know, it creates the Family Empowerment Scholarship, which is a new voucher that parents can use to send their children to private school um, using the piece of funding that uh, the district would have received had that student been attending a public school and that scholarship is specifically um, intended for families in lower income brackets
0: and by lower income now we're not talking about the same level of low as before we're talking about up to 300% of the poverty level right
1: Right. Yeah. And that's about roughly $77,000 for a family of four. Um, but they have, the lawmakers have also said that they would prioritize anyone who makes 185% of the poverty line or less. Uh, so they would prioritize those, uh, who are in the most financial need. But, um, the, the income bracket of this, Uh, voucher was something that was talked about a lot uh, during the final days of session. And um, Democrats were saying that this income level was too high and we're starting to edge into the middle class here.
0: But, you know, it is kind of not middle class when you're making $77,000 a year and living in certain parts of coastal Florida, like Miami Beach,
1: Right. Yeah. And Republicans have talked about the fact that, you know, to make that amount of money for a family of four could theoretically be, you know, a I think a firefighter and a teacher that are married or something like that. So this is like, you know, still definitely, I think, working class families for sure. But as you said, you know, income is also widely variant depending on what area of Florida you live into. So that has been an interesting conversation about um the income bracket that, you know, kind of was – more of a detail of the voucher program that probably got lost in a lot of the kind of big discussion over using public money to fund private education. But it is an interesting discussion. I think we're going to hear more about that in the future, especially as uh, certain groups, um, such as Americans for Prosperity and others are talking about, you know, the idea of eventually moving to universal vouchers. And in that case, you know, your income bracket wouldn't be a requirement at all.
0: What fascinates me about all this is that this is just one item out of a 92 page bill that included so many different things. We have become the state of omnibus education bills over the past couple of years. I was going through 7070 and I was looking at its requirements or, or provisions, I guess, for teacher bonuses, for charter schools, for community schools, for teacher testing. There's just a whole variety of things in there, some of which people really support. And and this just kind of got carried away over vouchers more than everything else. But we kind of knew this was coming because they laid it out at the beginning, didn't they? This is what they wanted to do.
1: Mm -hmm, Definitely. Yeah. Well, and you've heard some interesting things, Jeff, about uh, the restructuring of the best and brightest teacher bonus program. Can you remind me of some of the things that teachers are worried about with the way that they're redoing the bonuses?
0: Yeah, this is really interesting because the teachers for the years since the program was created complained that they were going to have to use their SAT scores for a ability to get the bonus and some of them even sued saying, Oh, I never took the SAT. I didn't have to. I went to community college. I went a different route. This is a discriminatory practice. The legislature and the governor said, Yeah, it's stupid. It doesn't make sense. Let's change it. But what they changed it to was the idea of you now have to be in a school that makes certain amount of gains in the school grading system per year over three years. And so some people are saying hey you know my school may not make those gains, but my kids are. I'm doing great things. So suddenly they're saying, hey, you know, at least I had control over my own SAT score. I don't have control over the fact that there's been a substitute teacher in the classroom next door for the past six months, and the kids in there aren't learning, bringing down our school's performance. And so they're raising more concerns about that now than maybe they ever did about the test score. And they, I think, just really want the money to go straight into into salaries,
1: yeah, that's really interesting. And, and, uh, after the session was over and we did the ceremonial handkerchief drop, um, last Saturday, you know, it was interesting. Governor DeSantis did about a 20 minute gaggle with the report, uh, re- with us reporters. And we asked him about, uh, the fact that, you know, the teacher bonus program wasn't exactly the same as what he had originally proposed in terms of what he wanted to see, um, the legislature do. And obviously, uh, you know, when it comes to major policy changes like this, the legislature is really the one in the driver's seat. Um, but he had wanted more money in it, uh, much more money than had uh, eventually ended up in it. And um, and so I was asking him about that, and he said that teacher salaries in general is something that he is really not um, – he's not finished looking at and that it's something that he really wants to continue to look at in the future. And I thought it was interesting that he talked, he said, you know, teacher salaries or teacher compensation, um, not necessarily teacher bonus. So I'm just curious as to see what that will mean in the future, especially because teacher salaries is an issue that comes up. It seems every year in the legislative session and teacher bonuses. So I'm curious to see what he means by that. And we'll, I guess we'll have to wait and see.
0: Um, yeah, but not too long. I guess the next, the next session starts in January. So we will probably have committees, what, in July or something like that?
1: <laughs> yeah, there's never any rest for the weary, I guess.
0: But, you know, there were other things that happened in the legislature this year, too. And another one of those bills that had a lot of things in it, but got attention for one thing, was the other bill that he's already signed. And that is the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School Safety Act. And... It got all the attention for teachers being able to participate in the School Guardian program, which allows them to carry guns. And that just took off like wildfire. How much time did you spend listening to those debates? And did you expect it to just be like it was?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to watch. I, I figured based on you know what we saw last year with the bill that they passed after Parkland, um, that it would be... Uh, just as emotional this year and especially in the house, uh, that was definitely true. Um, you know, and I, the one thing I would say is that this year the debate seemed a lot more along party lines than it did last year. That was kind of the extraordinary thing about the law that they passed last year, which as you know, contained uh, a ton of different things, everything from raising the age to purchase all types of guns from 18 to 21, uh, banning bump stocks in Florida, um, all the way to, you know, creating the guardian program for school staff and administrators to be able to carry guns on campus, uh, laying out mental health programs for students. So it, it accomplished all these different things. And because it had certain gun control measures in it, um, and because it created the guardian program. A lot of lawmakers from both sides of the aisle actually were against it for various reasons. And then a lot of the, the way that it passed was basically lawmakers kind of in the center, the most moderate of each party, um, were able to come together and pass that bill through. And this year it was just totally different. I mean, this year it was it was the votes um, were pretty much along party lines with a few exceptions. Um but it, the debate was largely centered on partisan politics. And the Democrats even at one point accused the Republicans of just completely ignoring everything they had to say and kind of jamming this down their throats, which was, you know, it, it got pretty ugly and pretty personal one night when we were all there late at night. And so that was just, you know, kind of a fascinating thing to watch. Um, obviously emotions are still really raw even more than a year after that, that horrible shooting happened. People are still, Really passionate about this subject and when it, especially when it comes to picturing the idea of a gun in your child's classroom. I don't think people will ever not be passionate one way or the other about that subject. So. Uh, but as you noted, it passed and Governor DeSantis signed that yesterday pretty quietly, kind of while I was getting ready uh, for the Trump rally in, in in the panhandle. So we wrote up a quick thing about it. It's not like it was anything unexpected, but uh, there was definitely no pomp or circumstance surrounding that. It just kind of happened.
0: Well, he did say this morning that he plans to have a more formal and fun, I don't know fun is the right word, ceremony. But he had so many questions about, are you going to veto this? He wanted to make perfectly clear he was not going to veto it, so he signed it as soon as it got to him.
1: Ah, okay. Good to know.
0: So it's really interesting, though, that one of the other things that he had a priority issue was civics education, and the bill that came through was pretty innocuous. It didn't really do much. It just called for more review of the uh, materials that are used and, and a possible potential review of the standards at some point. It really didn't catch anybody's attention. It didn't, it didn't cause a lot of debate, even though during the course of the campaign, he made it a big deal, put constitution into the classroom and all that. Uh, did you hear any, any big deal about that at all? I mean, was that something that people were really concerned about or was that just, you know, it's civics people need civics.
1: Yeah, I would say that that one pretty much flew under the radar up here. Um, not a ton of debate about it, but it's always interesting how, how that comes together. And, um, you know, there were there was some like kind of a similar under-the-radar debate about a bill that you've been following for many years, uh, Jeff, the financial literacy bill. What happened with that eventually?
0: That was crazy because, you know, for a while, everybody was playing on the heartstrings of do it for Dorothy Huckel, the senator who pushed it for years, and even in the House when she was in the House, and, and she never got any traction on it. And she got pretty frustrated over that, too. She passed away in between sessions. She didn't run for re-election. And Travis Hudson, the senator from her area, then took it up. We thought that it was moving, and then suddenly it just sort of snagged somewhere, and it wound up, instead of being a graduation requirement that students must take a course in financial literacy before they can finish their diploma, to a one-liner, basically, inside of a career and workforce education bill that says high schools must offer an elective course of financial literacy, of a half a credit. And so it just sort of became that they they rallied around it still and said, yay, we're accomplishing something. We're at least having schools have to offer this course. But it was not even close to what they originally had planned and tried for six years. Mm -hmm,
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and financial literacy basically means like teaching students how to balance a checkbook, how to lay out budgets and things like that, right?
0: Yeah. And how to take a loan and how to afford life outside of high school when you're not living with your parents and they're not doing everything for you. And as a matter of fact, it's one of the few bills that when I would go and talk to kids in high schools, they they actually paid attention to and thought was a good idea. So you know, nobody was really listening to what they had to say because they would have passed it a long time ago. They said, we don't need our parents to teach us this. Maybe our parents aren't very good at it, but we need somebody to teach us this.
1: Yeah, really. I always wonder about that too. I I certainly would have liked to know a little bit more about that before I was doing it in the real world. So I understand. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And that workforce development bill or workforce education bill also became a massive bill. It, it it grew and grew, and it passed pretty quickly too, and with not very much debate. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. And that uh, you know is something else that uh, Governor DeSantis has really kind of made. Um, not only a big piece of his platform while he was campaigning, but something that he's also continued to talk about since the election. And that's, you know, helping students, uh, get better, like, career and technical education, basically, and how create more streamlined, uh, pathways for students to get various industry certificates. And, uh, I believe it even has something about, uh, if you start college and you drop out without finishing but you're very close to earning your degree within like 10 percentage points of 10 percent of earning the degree it makes it easier for you to go back and finish and so it's kind of all geared toward students who take perhaps less traditional pathways uh to college or higher education but um, he's emphasized that that's you know those are all really worthy career paths that he wants to uh, support because we need students who are skilled in all these different industries.
0: Yeah, this morning when he was talking about vouchers, he also did tout the idea of moving forward in computer science in the state of Florida, putting ten million dollars towards that initiative, and part of that bill also included allowing students to replace certain of their math or science graduation requirements not the big ones like biology or algebra, but some of the other ones with a computer science or some sort of related course. They really want to get that moving forward. Uh, there's been a little pushback from people who think math and science are really important, but you know, it, it really didn't get too much fight in that bill. It, just, it was something that even the School Boards Association during their annual winter conference said, we should add this to our list of priorities because it's something the governor wants and we actually support that.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so always lots of moving pieces in education. Is there anything else that that we need to talk about?
0: Well, you know, I just always like to ring the bell for the bills that went nowhere that we talked a lot about because we thought they were interesting. School board term limits died. The Bible Mm. course, the requirement for a Bible course that everybody was all up in arms died. The idea of changing the textbook and, and library book requirements and how you can challenge them died, and a whole list of others died. Are there any others of your favorites from your list that died?
1: Well, this one didn't actually die, but it is something that we should talk about because it changed so much at the very last minute. And that was the one that requires school districts to share future referendum money with charter schools, um, because that was one of those bills that kind of came down to the wire. And it was something that you and I had both been following early on because it would affect so many different districts across the state, including Pinellas um, and Broward and, of course, Miami-Dade and um you know at first when it was first filed it would have required school districts to share referendum money so that's money that they raised through um a successful ballot measure where voters approved a a, ta- a a hike in their local property taxes it would have required districts to share that increased amount of funding with charter schools um and even ones that had happened in the past and that had created just a huge amount of kind of outrage from various districts, especially Miami-Dade because they just passed Um, a successful referendum this past November to give teachers a raise and to also kind of beef up school security. And the bill sponsor in the House was from Miami, and it was talked a lot about on the floor that, you know, the fact they weren't going to share the teacher salary money with charter schools was unfair and deceptive of the voters. And the Speaker of the House, Jose Oliva, wrote a letter to the district saying as much. So he was pushing for this really hard as well. Wasn't the bill sponsor,
0: sorry, Emily, wasn't the bill sponsor actually a charter school employee of some sort
1: yes he's a former charter school teacher himself brian avila from hialeah so this became you know kind of a miami-centric fight um just in terms of what was said on the house floor but of course you know what what we kept thinking was that yes miami is in the spotlight on this but this is going to affect about 20 districts across the whole state so this is you know would have been a really wide-ranging impact um and then it, it got amended probably two or three times just on Friday alone, the last full day of session. And I was kind of running back and forth between the House and the Senate trying to figure out what was going on. And, um, the end result, I'll spare you all the details, but the end result was, uh, the fact that Districts will have to share their referendum money with charter schools, but only for referendums passed after July of this year. So districts kind of celebrated that as a victory. Um, I do know that, you know, there are certain ones that will need to come up to be even just renew what they already have, such as Palm Beach. I think someone said that one expires in five years. So, uh, it, this will allow districts, they said, to at least plan for it and not, um, kind of usurp the, the agreements that they already have in place with teachers unions about salaries and, and things like that. Um, but it is going to change the way that, that the funding works for charter schools, um, who now kind of get extra money from the state to make up for the fact that they don't get local property tax money.
0: I do wonder how people will vote on that, knowing that going forward, they will be giving that money to charter schools. Uh, A lot of times they said that they believe they were supporting public schools, which they distinguish from charter schools, even as the lawmakers say, charters are public. So it'll be really interesting. I know that the legislature on the same general subject did not adopt a bill that would have extended those property taxes that they're talking about from a four-year window, which they have to renew after to a 10 years. That didn't happen. And so every four years, they're going to be coming back and saying, do you want to give money to the districts and to the charters, I guess? So that should be really mm-hmm. interesting campaigns when they when and if they have them. And it seems like more and more are having them because they still don't feel like they're getting enough money from the state.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely.
0: So we've hit our 20-minute mark and... <laughs> Or, right about. I don't know if you have anything else you want to say. I know you must be pretty tired after all this running around between the legislature and rallies and stuff like that. You got anything else you want to add for the good of the day, or do you want to just like wish the five finalists for Teacher of the Year congratulations and luck and call it a day?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's education. We always think it's going to be a quiet year or something, and I think you and I had thought that maybe early on that maybe because the house speaker jose oliva was so focused on health care and the governor was talking about you know advancing his ban on sanctuary cities which eventually passed and there were all these big issues flying around that we thought education maybe education will be quiet this year and of course it was not so (laughs) welcome to the (laughs) florida legislature yeah exactly exactly but it's never boring and i wouldn't have it any other way so thanks for having me on Jeff.
0: That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. If you'd like to participate and send us your views, do so on our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. To keep up on the latest in Florida education breaking news, go to our blog, baycom slash gradebook. We'd like to hear from you, share our podcast, know what you want to think about it and what you want to hear. So either send us an email or review the podcast where you get it. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening.